Welcome. This podcast is an exploration into being human and what's possible when there's less attention on the noise in our heads. Warning. While listening to this broadcast, you may experience moments of deep peace, sighs of relief, personal insights, or long stretches of dead air. Do not be afraid. This is normal. Under the Noise with Wynne Morgan and Kate Roberts. Hello and welcome to this week's Under the Noise with me, Wynne Morgan, and my co-host, Kate Roberts. Hi, Kate. Hi. And today we're joined by Jules Swales. Now, I've known Jules for, I think it's six years. Um, For the last almost two years, Jules has been my writing teacher, which I've, which I continue to absolutely adore, even when there are various times during the week where I find things difficult and I'm not getting it or anything like that. But that's um, the first thing that I would say. So just before we started and, and, and Kate said, so tell me a bit about Jules. And I said, well, Jules is my writing teacher. She went, oh, cool. But here's what I would also say about you, Jules, that it's not the you're not the typical teacher. What I've noticed in you and your teaching is that you help people bring out a part of themselves that they have been hiding or don't even know that exists. And sometimes and often, in fact, when I read back to myself what I've written, I'm astonished that I can put those words together and they can be meaningful and true, surprising, and profound without me trying to be any of those things. So that's how I would introduce you, Jules. The one question we love to ask guests is, for someone who doesn't know you, how do you say what you're up to in the world? Oh, thank you, Kate and women for having me. First of all, it's lovely to be here chatting with you guys. What am I up to in the world? Well, of any importance, I'm I'm just up to living, you know, really, that's just every day. I, I feel blessed to have a moment of wonderment, just the joy of being of being alive right now. Um, not necessarily given this sort of at this particular point in the world in the world right now, but just to have another opportunity to be alive, you know, so I'm just really, and I think most of my life has been geared around, has been pointing and geared and encouraging me towards that, and which I think it is for all of us, um, every opportunity in every, every situation, not, you know, I don't say that saying, okay, I'm ready for the next thing. <laughs> um, but, but I'm most up to living and how I do that is through writing. How I experience myself living is as a writer, not as how I experience myself making a living, but how I experience myself living is, is through writing. It's my reflection back to myself. Um, it's yeah. I looked up 
getting ready to chat with you guys today, <clears throat> I looked up what noise means. And I thought that was, it's so interesting that it's an unpleasant sound that causes disturbance when you boil it down. Um, you know, I've had a, a lot of unpleasant internal noise that's caused disturbance. And, and so uh, writing that noise out has been what I've been up to doing in my, up to, that's how I've been living, you know, since I can remember is, is because I feel my body hasn't been able to carry the noise and I needed a place to put it. And my heart goes out to people who don't have a place to put the noise. But on a practical sense, you know, I'm living in America, maybe moving back to England, which is quite a revelatory experience for somebody who ran away from England and swore was never going to move back again. And uh, I'm just amazed, you know, like, you know, every day, guys, I, I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, how did this happen? Because it feels so much more extraordinary because I've kind of kept myself out of the way. I've done what's been asked of me, but I'm sort of to the side of the experience a little bit because I'm just, I don't want to put too much personality noise into the experience of moving country after 30 years. You know, America has been an amazing country for me. I am American citizen now and it's been a beautiful country. So it's very surprising that I'm moving back to England. I'm so surprised, delighted and surprised. Does that answer your question about the living piece? Well, it's not like it's a question that anyone can get wrong anyway. So, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's fascinating. So, so if it's so surprising on a very practical level, how come you're doing it? Moving back to the UK. Because I'm a writer and I trust what shows up that's bigger than me. And this is shown up and it's bigger than me. I could say something like, oh, it's COVID and all of my friends left LA as well because we suddenly realized that tens of thousands of people were dying and we were still alive and we wanted to live into our lives, that we into, live into our dreams. I could say that that might have been something to do with it. Um, but I've been talking about moving back to England a long time before COVID happened and I just didn't know how I was going to be brave enough to do it to leave, you know, leave everything that I know here. I got sober here. I don't know who I am sober in the UK. I haven't met her yet. Um, so, you know, I've been sober for 29 years. That was a big deal for me, you know, drugs and alcohol. So that was a big deal. And I'm very proud of my sobriety. And America has been like a cashmere scarf around my sobriety. She's wrapped me up and kept me, you know, warm and sober and safe and friended by life and by people and by my sobriety. So, you know, going back to England where social life revolves around the pub is going to be very interesting to meet myself in those environments, you know, as a sober person now. Um, so I have been called back to England. I remember walking 
in the Cotswolds once when I was visiting my mum and um, I was walking, she used to drop me off on the way home from the little town so I could walk through the fields, you know, because it's not like it is here where I live, the fields in England, the countryside. And I sat down and everything was so green, but all these different colors of green. And as I sat there and witnessed everything, witnessed life, I felt myself being witnessed by life, like by everything. You know, I was, I was so amazed and humbled and surprised. And I think I left a bit of my heart there that day in that field, you know, and my, I put some roots down, some very, very strong roots that I thought I had dug up when I moved here forever. I ripped them out of the ground when I came, when I left England. I ran away from England and I ripped my roots or so I thought, and maybe I did and I just, but I found myself seeded almost in that field with an invitation to, you know, journey back. And I don't know if it's permanent, but I have a yearning that I'm following which doesn't make any sense, you know, to me. It doesn't make any, but then the part that doesn't make sense is that noise. Mm. I don't want to listen to that. And I would say that I've taken a step, like one step, I couldn't have done this if I had looked at everything that needed to be done, but I took a step and then I saw kind of how life met me. You know how life meets us at the place of our action? And so I took a step and then I, I pondered and paused and, and, then, and then there was an, an opening. And so I stepped into that and took another step and then there was another opening. That's not to say that there, there weren't challenges in the opening, but there weren't any slam doors, right? There were, there were challenges on my knees challenges when I left LA initially and came up here. I mean, that was, you know, that was, that was tricky, emotionally tricky. I had been living with somebody for 13 years, you know, saying goodbye to my three closest friends who I saw every week. Um, but every step of the way, I have done one thing and then seen what happened next. Not, you know, <laughs> um, the 12 steps on how to make big change in your life not from that perspective like just take it but a little bit like David White's poem start close in the first step the step you have to take your step not anybody else's step you know and so it was definitely starting close in with what's the first thing I needed to do which was to have a garage sale you know <laughs> there were four or five others after that so it was just um so that's, so it wasn't an egoic, oh, I don't like America anymore, you know, I'm, I'm bored with my life or I'm unhappy and I have too much noise inside. So let me find something to keep me distracted from myself. It wasn't that, which I think is so often in the past, I've made change because I haven't been happy where I was. I was happy in LA, you know, she's been a beautiful city to me. Um, I was gonna miss my friends but I wasn't unhappy. It was time for change. In that sharing that you just said, there was a part of it that I want to come back to, which was you saying, I don't want to listen to the noise anymore. 
I think that's what you said anyway. And I wanted to, to know more about that. Well, um, there was a reason I was a drunk. <laughs> you know, there was a reason why I used alcohol and cigarettes and drugs, all of which I gave up on the same day. Um, just to quieten the, the, the fear, you know, I just, I, fe I feared myself. Like it wasn't, nobody was, like I just threw all of the noise of my thinking brain. I, I just scared myself. And I just scared myself in life all the time. So I was perpetually worried. And so when I got sober, you know, I was, I've always been learning to live with my sensitivities um, to, to life. I'm, I feel I'm quite sensitive and um, sort of unmedicated. Life was very noisy internally for me. Oh my god oh my god oh my god and then there was a lot of that you know i was doing that i wasn't being done to me i was doing oh the dog's sick again so the dog's sick again what am i going to do with that i'm going to fearful myself i'm going to create fear for myself and then i'm going to say oh my god the dog's sick and oh my god it's terrible the dog's sick um so the dog was sick. I didn't need to have all that noise. You know, that's still one I'm negotiating. When she gets sick, I still feel that that's a, a bit of a, um, a residue of a place where, where I notice my mental health changes. Um, my, my internal landscape is much quieter than it used to be. I used to have a lot of judgment. I used to, I should rephrase this, like judgment is something that we're given on a plate, right? I used to be very judgmental um, out of fear. I used to be very defensive out of fear. I used to drink out of fear. Um, I'd manage my food because I was afraid because of how I was in fear. Um, the only place that worked was on the page. Mm. The only place that I could, and I have said this, you know, I've talked to myself, I've written myself out of suicide more than once. And I just kept, I wasn't expecting to feel emotional talking to you, but I do right now um, feel quite emotional at just how beautiful writing has been as my partner in life. Because that talking about that noise, it's, I've, I've written it out. And then it's been a bit quieter. For, it was a bit quieter than, I was a bit quieter then for a while. And I'm quite quiet for the most part these days, um, which is amazing. And when, when I notice like, you know, like the book launch on Saturday and um, I'm in the middle of teaching right now and there's a lot of sort of physical world realities, I, I notice the noise start to happen again. And then I know kind of, okay, I know what I need to do, you know, how I need to, take care of myself because I'm creating a lot of noise it's not like life saying here here have this noise I'm I'm doing the noise and what works for you then when you notice that Netflix 
<laughs> oh my God, have you watched The Lincoln Lawyer? I mean, what a great show. So The Lincoln Lawyer right now is, is working for me. I, uh, having a brain like I do, you know, um, I'm on the Asperger's spectrum, high functioning, but having, having that, um, I have to disengage my computer. And so um, I'll do like a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle and have Netflix on and I'm listening and, and it keeps my brain super activated, you know, and it gives it something to do so that everything quietens down. And then I'm like, oh, you know, oh, let's go outside. And now I can see the world and the moon last night. And um, so, you know, that's what I did yesterday. You know, I felt like activated in my computer was on like that fast drive and I couldn't find the fan, you know, so I did a, some jigsaw puzzle and I watched, um, but I catch, you know, I, I catch myself quite early these days. It's a, it's a, a slight rub inside. And, and I know what I, I, you know, that I've, um, Velcroed myself to something that's not serving me anymore. Some kind of worrying thought, uh, worry, something you know, something that I'm uh, that that I can create fear around, which is all very human. It's not that I'm trying not to be a human. I, I love feelings. I absolutely love feelings I don't I mean I had a good cry yesterday just because I love feelings so much and I thought well let's just have a good cry um but I love feelings even the ones that are challenging maybe I don't love them at the time um but it's part of this contact sport isn't it being alive it's all of it so getting quiet and underneath the noise, let's say, um, to some degree, is not about not living, it's about living fiercely. You know, Jules, when you were talking about, you know, your lifelong partnership, I think you said partnership to writing and what that meant to you. makes me think of a quote that I read um, maybe yesterday and it was Byron Katie and she said that she is married with a voice inside her and I love that so much because I think for most of my life I was married to the noise yeah <laughs> like a true commitment <laughs> to my story, to my busy mind, to creating problems to solve in my mind. Oh yeah, like a full on marriage. I'm surprised anything else really fit. <laughs> you know, like I think they're starting to like maybe the voice inside and I are dating now. Maybe just dating. We met, we're dating a little bit. Starting to fall in love, you know, like the beginning of it. So I love what you said. Um, I love that, the, the marriage thing, because Mary Oliver, in the Byron Katie quote, Mary Oliver um, in one of her poems talks about being a bride to amazement 
And I took that and I, I put in one of my quotes, if Mary Oliver can be a bride to amazement, I can be a bride to creativity. And, and I've never argued with that relation with that relationship. I sometimes don't like what my editor asks me to do, you know, like persona poems. I'm not loving that right now. Character's not my strong point as a writer, but of course, you know, that's, it's like, that's the thing that the relationship that I have with writing is, is asking me to do right now. So what do I do? Say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. Or do I trust that it doesn't feel comfortable, but there's going to be something here for me, you know, something here for me. And for somebody like myself who interpreted life's events as a reflection on, you know, on my goodness in the world or my worthness in the world, you know, that happened, which must mean X, Y, and Z, which is kind of how the human brain does things. It's so interesting. Um, when I started, you know, 20 years ago, really focusing on these exercises with my teacher and having this negative bias that we have as humans to sort of, maybe it comes from that, anything, anyway, I digress. So I couldn't argue with what I was finding on the page when I wrote. So it was interrupting the voice that I was relating, relationing with up until that point, which is like, you're not worth anything. This and that's happened because there's something wrong with you never be creative you should just be a journal writer and just stay at home quietly and write journals and um, you've got nothing of any import to say nobody cares what you have to say all the stories that are not just personally mine after teaching for so long you know the universal this this loop but then I'd go to class and write something Kate and I'd be like well I don't understand like who is that person then who is that when I'm, when I'm thinking that I'm this, and there was an interruption. And then, the, you know, and I think that's why people like my classes, because they see that, you know, they, the ex, they do what they do, the work, Wynne does the work, he does the exercises, he gets to texture himself, texturize himself onto the page. It's, it's all about us and our relationship with ourselves. So I might say I've written myself out of suicide more than once, but I will also say that I've fallen in love with myself on the page in a way that I never used to. I didn't like myself. I couldn't fall in love with myself no matter how much I tried, but I've fallen in love with myself and continue to on the page. The question then, what is it within writing that allows that to happen in your mind? Well, it, it isn't going to happen if you just journal every day because you're just doing what you know how to, what you know what to do, which is just, I should take, I should talk more in the singular, shouldn't I, rather than the you. I was just doing what I knew how to do, which was just to be me, but I was just being me on the page, flushing me out, more of me, 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 me. Um, it's a little bit like if you were riding a bike and you, you only had one pedal 
where you only thought there was one pedal, you know, your other foot would adapt itself to only be, and you work really hard to pedal. I don't know where this metaphor is coming from. It's just coming to me right now, but I'm not sure if I'll ever use it again. We'll see. Um, but you're just pedaling, you know, with one foot and it's a lot of efforting, but you, you do it because you know what to do. Now, when suddenly someone says, here's another pedal, um, there's, there's going to be some resistance. It's not what I know, but what it, I don't understand how to use both feet. And so, but it's in the long run, it will be easier. I think in the long run, it's easier to be a human <laughs> if you, if you, if you, um, if you learn how to write in a certain way that conjures up more of the I and less of the me, which I've also not said before, which is kind of interesting. I mean, I talk about the I, but not in this context, um, which brings me back to how I used to write initially, which was somewhat in a narcissistic fashion, everything was about me, but it was about me and a, oh, woe is me. And then this happened and then this happened. It was like, you know, just, regurgitating everything I knew about myself to be true. My limits, my judgments, my fears. In some regards, reinforcing it all, perhaps. You know, because I was wading around in all the diarrhea of my life. Um, and then when I met Jack, it was like, okay, you've got two pedals and see how that goes. And the exercise was the second pedal. The, ex my, the exercises he gave me to do was that second pedal. I actually needed stabilizers, let's say for a while, because I was like, I couldn't understand what was happening. Like, who is this person? Like, what's happening with this? I don't understand. But part of me, a little bit like, part of me knew I was gonna end back in England for some time. Part of me knew I had to keep going with these exercises because I wasn't just, writing in a frenetic fashion um, in the way I had for decades, my writing was different. And the only way my writing could be different is if I'm doing something different. And the only way I could be doing something different was if I did something different. And so it physically do something different. Now, this is interesting when, because, you know, I thought, when I first learned um, what I teach, well, I understand it. So I, oh, I totally understand what you mean. But then I didn't know how to do it on the page. That, that understanding something doesn't mean seeing something. The only way we can see something is if we do something different, if we be something different. Don't be someone different, be something different. There was a part in that that, I'd be curious to get clarified because you talked about the I and the me and them being different. And I don't know if you can come back to that and just describe what, how you see the difference between I and me. Me, 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 <laughs> right? It's all about me. You've upset me. We don't say you've upset I, right? We say you've upset me. This is what happened to me. So I think the me is, the, is the, the sweet sort of self that's just trying to negotiate the complications of being human the, with, with the um, best intentions at heart and the greatest desire to do good and be good, but without a lot of, you know, without any stabilizers on the human bike, 
really just trying to negotiate through the best we can. Um, I require some accountability to me, to my little me. Um, I don't, you know, that it's like, there's no, not a lot of accountability there. It's just me on the page. It's narcissists, you know, looking in the, into the pond and feeling enamored with oneself. And it's the, you know, blame and judgment live there. Because everything's, you know, me, and this is interesting because I've never thought about me being sort of a victim thing before, but possibly it is. I is humbling. Um, and it takes some account. And I think I, I don't, you know, I, I'm just flushing scenarios out in my head, really, what, as we're chatting. I think I requires some maturity, some emotional maturity, perhaps some accountability, some visibility so it would make sense that we learn that right in class we learn to put our eye on the page and it's through the eye that we connect with each other because if we're open and generous with ourselves it's remarkable how other people connect with us then because they're like oh i feel the same way not even if the story is the same, you know, the surface story might not be the same, but the energy of that personal accountability and, um, and, and humility and compassion for self is, is palpable by somebody else, either on the page or, or in conversation. Maybe. <laughs> at least that's what, at least that's for right now, that, that answer might change in a couple of hours, but I remember one thing that I'm pretty sure I will always remember for as long as I'll have a memory is something that you said in might have been the very first class of the first level. And it was from um, Jack Grapes' book and his work on method writing. And it was talking about don't try and be good. And when we stop the, the notion of being good as, a, as any creative endeavor, then what can show up is something potentially mind-blowing. And I wondered if you could speak to that for a couple of minutes. Yeah, um, I would love to. But not being good means um, we often have to fall on our face and you know a lot of people are just trying to make you know get through the best they can so the idea of creating scenarios where they're going to potentially be vulnerable and fall on their fate when they're just trying to keep life together is is a lot to ask um i think but he had you know if you it keeps coming back to this for me right now is that if we want to have a different experience, we have to do something different. And so most people have an idea about what writing is about and they have, and there's weight on that. Oh, I need to sound like a writer. Um, so not sounding like a writer has a risk. 
you know, and if you don't sound like a writer when you do these exercises, which you're not going to sound like, you're going to sound like yourself. And from a lot of people, there is an internal narrative going around how themself isn't good enough, let alone to be a human, but definitely not to be a writer because a writer is that person. I'm just a journaler, that person is a writer. So people don't want to look the fool or get it wrong. End of story. And that's why we, and that's why humans don't live their potential because they don't want to get it wrong. And what if I, you know, that we wouldn't live under an umbrella of what if, you know, the sky's falling. Let me put up my umbrella of what if, you know, as I couldn't move back to England if I paid any attention to all the what ifs. Oh my gosh, I would be drowned. I would drown myself, let's say. <laughs> I would have drowned myself in LA a year ago if I thought about leaving, if I listened to the what ifs. And I don't say that lightly, you know, I was, I was quite unwell in 2019. So my doctors are in LA. My dog was quite unwell in 2019, which probably was why I was quite unwell because I was so stressed about her. Her, her, dog, her dog doctors are better than mine. I mean, her vet's like the Mayo Clinic in LA for dogs. So to take her out of her environment, of, of all of the comfort I had around that, you know, was into this complete unknown. Um, if I had listened to, I, had, I guess I had my umbrella up, all those what ifs were bouncing off because uh, I wouldn't have been, it would not have been able to happen. So I think the what if is what creates the fear of looking like a fool and getting it wrong. What if I get it wrong? What if I'm the worst in class? What if I'm the only person who can't do it? Well, what if you didn't listen to that and you just practiced and, and to see what happens? Every day as a human, we're getting an opportunity to practice being human. But by the time we're of a certain age, you know, we're, we're so practiced in familiarity. And so we're not curious of what might happen if we, you know, broke down, the, not the glass ceiling, but this, you know, the glass walls around us. Um, now, the interesting thing is, you know, we think that there are, but actually there, are, there isn't anything around us. The only thing that's holding us in, in sort of place is ourselves. Like, our, like, what would we do if we weren't afraid of failing? Who said that? Somebody famous said that. I can't remember who it is now. Can't claim it for my own. Maybe I can. But anyway, what would we do if, it, what would you do, both of you right now, something in your life, if you were absolutely convinced that it was gonna work out in your favor, what would you do? And then the question becomes, why are you not doing it? And then you could write 20 or 30 what ifs under that. And then your, your very beautifully wired computer is gonna give you justifiable reasons after every what if. And now you have like, a five, 50,000 word novel in your head <laughs> about the what ifs and the ramifications of the what ifs and how could you possibly take a step? So in, a, in writing, just going to, just signing up for writing class is a step. Showing up for the first class. I've had people who haven't been able to come after the first class. It was too much. Coming to the second class 
which means you're going to have written something during the week, practice an exercise, come to class, God forbid, then you're going to read it. And people are going to hear it. And you could be the one person in class who didn't get it. So, you know, bless the hearts of all of those who come to class every week. And that doesn't go away as you become more familiar with the exercises, because as you know, when there's always another exercise to learn, um, and that's the beauty of writing. Why would you ever want to get to a point where you weren't a beginner? You know, then you need to start pottery classes or something, be a beginner again, because every morning, you know, we're a beginner again at this job of, of humaning. Every day, you know, we're, we're pilgriming ourselves onto and through Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, aren't we? That's what the whole of being a human is about. It's it's Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. And, and he studied like every myth, every religion, every story. And this was the theme and the thread is we get up, we start out on our journey of the day. Something happens that pisses us off. We get all annoyed or we get frightened or scared. We learn something about ourselves or about the situation. And then we want to go and tell somebody what we've learned so we can maybe help them. And there is the model of every story, every rom-com, every thriller. <laughs> Every, everything, every religion, every, every Greek myth is weaved around that. So we are so lucky that we got up this morning to live another day on our hero's journey. And, you know, where, where was it in Lascaux in France um, when the first, well, it wasn't actually, well, well 30,000 years ago, they found cavemen drawings telling a story in the caves um, in Lascaux and in Chavot in France, but 44,000 years ago in Indonesia. They reckon in Indonesia that was the first stories written by cavemen trying to tell about their lives. 44,000 years ago, we are wired to live the hero's journey, to be brave. Second act of the hero's journey on your knees. So when my students come to class, the first class, that's where they are. Oh my God, life and death stakes, life and death stakes. Some people feel just reading a piece in class is life and death stakes. I used to, I say often the only time I ever wore deodorant was when I was reading as a student in Jack's classes because I was like perspiring with fear so much. Or maybe it was excitement, you know, two sides of the same coin perhaps. But um, we are wired to be brave, fierce, live big lives, take risks, and share about what we've learned with each other. And, you know, we, we die and suffer when we're not doing that. It doesn't matter whether you do a writing class, learn pottery, you know, take the stabilizers off your bike. It doesn't matter. David White says, we should all be a little bit afraid if we're living at the front of our lives. And I understand what he means by that now, at this juncture in my life. But we don't need to change country to do that. We could take a writing class or a pottery class or do that one thing that we haven't done yet that we really want to do. But we want to tell our stories. I do know that as humans, everybody wants to tell a story. So if there was, there was one thing that 
you might kind of pass on to anyone who is one of those people who are kind of sitting at the edge of their life, trying to decide or move forward or figure out what to do or maybe knowing what to do and hasn't done it yet. If you could just say one thing to them, what do you think that would be? It's a great question, Kate. And it reminds me of the probably five years that I talked weekly about wanting to move back to England and all I did was talk about it. But then I made a lot of pros and cons lists and you know, I'm part of the 3P community. I was still making pros and cons lists. And then I talked ad nauseum to as many people I could to see if someone else had something that would be helpful to me. Then I read a whole bunch of books about how to make change, how to make move. Then I read a lot of poetry. Then I wrote a lot, all about why I couldn't do what I wanted to do. Um, wasn't a good idea. How could I possibly be, how could I, you know, it came fundamentally down to who was I to deserve being happy? which was quite a surprise to me, um, you know, to put myself first and foremost in the, in, the, in the middle of the circle of my life as a human, which I hadn't really done, and I don't think ever before, to this degree that I am now. So strategizing did not work for me. Pros and cons lists didn't work for me. Um, trying to imagine how to do it didn't work, still isn't working. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't get in, I wouldn't interrupt myself. Um, I, I just, I, I promised to be faithful to the, the little light of, that little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. I oh, can't that song just came in, whoosh. Um, <laughs> I promised to be faithful to the little, part of me that put her roots down in that field in England at the cost of my death. Well, I should say the stakes were higher than that. If I didn't, my mom turns 90 this year. If I didn't go, my mom would die and I would never see her again. If I did go, I would kill my dog. So I had very high stakes. And if I had looked there to try and work it out, Kate, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to have done, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, like I feel the energy that comes forward just, just speaking the stakes like that. So none of the things as a human that I had been trained to do to work out how to get myself from LA to San Francisco, from San Francisco to LA, um, there wasn't a formula. There wasn't, there was no 12 steps to do this or take one step, what does it look like? Let me work the steps out beforehand. There was no working the steps out beforehand. My business has been born from the same place. It's, for, it's formless. There's no, there's no language about it for, for, for it. There was, um, there was a, oh, I think this is going to happen next you know what, what would be the next thing that I was would I would do one thing that like David White says close in one step but it's not like take one step write the 15 steps out and then take the first one because how do you know what the 14 are going to be until you've done the first one so you know now the first thing could be something really really small and 
I can't say, Kate, that I've listened when I've had little taps on the shoulder of, of, okay, this is what you should be doing right now. This would be, why don't you do this? I've been like, nope, I know what's best for me. And so the, the, you know, then it's a brick on the shoulder or then I get, I got sick. And so life's going to get your attention. You know, our job is, is whether or not we're going to, you know, get on the carpet and ride the invitation of it. But it, it required an awful lot of slowing down. If I had to say anything, I would come back to Muji's carpet and how Muji talks about this unfurling carpet of life for all of us and that humans are this side of it trying to organize the path for the carpet, plan it all, organize what's it? We're here and Moody's invitation is to step back this side. And, you know, and then the, as it unfolds, we, we move with it. And there's a grace to that. There's an ease. I wanted grace and ease. And um, it wasn't graceful and easy last year when I was in resistance. And I finally had to, you know, I finally had to listen to that little voice inside. Uh, you know, I was, I was, you know, events happened that um, where I, I recognized I was miserable and I didn't want to get sick. And again, and I needed to be brave and pull up my big girl pants and and explore the rest of my life with a fierceness that I've been timidly afraid of up until now. So it's more of, it's more of, a, of you can't not do. It's not how do I do it? It's more like, how could you not? And it's so interesting when I reflect on that question a bit more that how could the answers to how could you not are so low in key and, and quite, you know, their vibration is quite, quite low. And the noise of why we shouldn't is so loud, which comes back to, you know, the noise thing again, so loud. Fear is so loud. Bless us as humans, really. You know, bless us. I'm so compassion, so much compassion for for myself. <laughs> you know, bless my heart. Thank you, Jules. Thank you for sharing and for being with us today. What's funny is I am saying to myself, thank you, Jules, for sharing with us today. I feel myself thanking myself, <laughs> you know, because I'm I I feel very moved and textured in such a rich way from our conversation, from your questions, from my questions of myself and the explore my internal exploration. So thank you, guys. Thank you. You've been listening to another noise. I'm Kate Roberts. I'm here with Wynn Morgan and Jules Wales. Do you have any questions or comments or any topics that you'd love for us to explore?
please reach out to me or to win. Our details follow the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review. If you have a topic or question that you'd like us to chat about, email Wynn or Kate at win at winning.co.uk and Kate at katerobertscoaching.com. Until then, enjoy what's possible under the noise.